Blog Talk Radio. And good evening. My name is Ryan Miner. You are listening to A Minor Detail. And tonight our show is brought to you by Avenel Strategies. It's a local strategy firm. Uh, and we uh, we are looking forward to tonight. We have a great panel. And uh, we're going to be talking about the Montgomery County uh, CD6 Republican debate. And I'm going to welcome my panelist. Uh, so... I'm going to go down the line, and I have with me Liz Matori. Hey, Liz. Hey. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. Thanks for joining. And Liz is always a great part of our of our shows, and we've had her on uh, several times. I have Matthew Foldy, who was actually uh, he was actually a panelist. Hey, Matt. How are you? Hey, can you hear me? I can. I can. Oh, wow. Oh, okay, sure. Great to be here. <laughs> Matthew was one of the panelists for the CD6 Republican debate, so we're going to have sort of an insider perspective, and that'll be great. Um, I have Phil Bell. Hey, Phil, how are you? Good, Ryan. Thank you for uh, allowing me to join the panel today. Absolutely, and, and Phil is Phil. What was your role? You you were a you were a big role. You had a big role with the Maryland Republican Party, but not only that, uh, you are a uh, true and true politico of the of the process. Well, well, thank you. Yes, I was uh, director of membership services for the state party for uh, state Republican Party for well, close to two years. Right, and I uh, had a lot of chances to get to know everyone there. Awesome. And I also have Eric Beasley. Hey, Eric. Hey, Ryan. How you doing? Eric Beasley is my fellow uh, friend in uh, Frederick County. A, a, a fantastic uh, libertarian. A great guy. And uh, someone that is a equal as a rebel rouser as I am, right? Right? Right, Eric? Yeah, it's kind of what we do. We just happen to be good at it. <laughs> That's what we do. Um, and then I have Eric Moranga. Eric w- is with uh, Avenel Strategies. Hey, Eric, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Can you guys hear me? Yes, we can could hear you. Can you hear? Yes, good. you are good to go. Uh, Eric was at the debate. And he was part of our pre-panel that introduced the we, – we, we were at the Gaithersburg Holiday Inn. We started a show at 5.30. Eric came on, and we had a great discussion about what we expected at the debate. And then we had um, – and then we have Kim Mueller, who is uh, literally upstairs in our house. <laughs> hey, Kim. Hi. How are you? Good. How's it going down there? Oh, you know, I'm just at our kitchen table, and the cat's probably yeah. running around the house. Um, He's sitting in front of me. Our new cat, his name is Mitt, and yes, we did name him after Mitt Romney. That was kind of funny. It's true. We did. Uh, all right, we're gonna let's go. Let's go right into it, uh, guys uh, and gals. Y'all watched the the sixth uh, the, the first sixth district Republican debate. It was held at the Gaithersburg Holiday Inn, and it was put on by the Montgomery County Republican Party. Um, and, of course, we have with us Matthew Foldy, who was a panelist. And I want to go first to Matthew. Um, Matthew, could you tell us the process of how you prepared for this Republican debate and kind of the research process that you that went into this? Yeah, sure thing. Can you hear me? I can hear you great. Okay, perfect. So, yeah, so I wanted to make sure that I figured – it would be important, this is one of the best opportunities that I was thinking that voters would have before the primary to really get kind of an in-depth look on a lot of the candidates. So I reached out to a decent amount of people, including Ryan, uh, to ask 
about the issues that they thought were of the utmost importance to them that I thought might not be addressed in other forums. So, you know, I, I talked to Ryan, some people with the, the Maryland College Republicans and other of my friends in Montgomery County and got a sense of what they thought are some of the most pressing issues. And, you know, I got things from transportation to involving youth vote to other issues in Montgomery County, not all of which I was able to get to in the debate because when you have a candidate that's kind of hectic, um, but things like that because obviously, you know, I don't have all the answers. But I think it was also important to kind of look into, you know, what John, how John Delaney has been voting. So I did a decent amount of research into his votes on some key issues, most of which we didn't get into during the thing. But I think, you know, a couple of things like, you know, what he did with the Iran deal, for example, where he had that forum at the synagogue in Potomac and then announced that he was undecided after meeting with people in the community. To me, that kind of shows a lack of leadership. So things like that were kind of really easy things to do in terms of asking candidates about. And then I tried looking into um, kind of op-eds and things like that that candidates have written about and... I tried to reference those wherever possible. You know, Faker had written on Facebook, yeah, some New Year's resolutions, transportation, so that, and then op-eds. Um, and then that was basically that, and then everything else that, you know, just I've been following along as things have been going on. But I think it was important to try to get a sense of issues from around the district, and, you know, hopefully my questions, you know, from I-81 to fracking and to everything else, we're able to cover those issues on a relatively substantive level, if that answers mm -hmm. that question. Yes, Matthew, thank you. And I just want to say, I want to compliment you on your professionalism. I think you did a fantastic job, and I think Cat O'Connor from the Montgomery County Republican Party did a really fantastic job. You both were excellent. You were professional. You were honest. You were straightforward. I think your questions were pointed. And I think that uh, you were a, you just proved to be an excellent panelist, and uh, major kudos to you. I, I'm I'm really impressed by um, your style, and uh, I, I hope they welcome you back. Well, I appreciate that. I just have one other thing. You know, you had said to me that you thought I might have been biased because of my presidential preferences, but I mean, you know, as you as I'm sure everyone here has seen, on a local level, you know, for the most part, we're all really on the same team, and you know. Um, so things like that, to me, it's kind of interesting and nice that, you know, I'm sure that there was the amount of, I mean, as the straw poll reflected, we had, you know, some diversity of presidential preferences in the room, but ultimately everyone's goal in that room is to win the, the election, and I think that was actually, it was a very cordial forum for the most part, and I thought that was very nice. Yeah, well, Matthew, one of these days, I, I know maybe not this year or next year, but, uh, We'll bring you over to the dark side of the libertarians. That's okay. We'll, we'll work on it. You're a good spokesman. <laughs> yeah, that's I Well, you know, Eric is an equally good spokesman, uh, Eric Beasley. But, okay, so um, I want to go to Liz Matori. Um, Liz, you are an independent, uh, and you're running yourself and uh, as an independent candidate in Congressional District 8, um, just yeah. slightly across the way. And in fact, um, some of the candidates who live in Congressional District 8 um, that are running in CD6 could vote for you <laughs> in the yeah. general election. Um, yeah. And I just want to I want to get your perspective. Uh, and let's start out. Um, let's talk about the the aesthetics of the debate. Let's talk about uh, the production itself and the, yeah. what 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 is your opinion 
of the process and coming to a Republican function. What What do you think? What right. what, what do you what, What's your thoughts? So as you know, I'm a um, not as not not as newly minted independent now. I feel like it's been a couple of months, few months now, but it definitely was the first time I've ever been. Unfortunately, the first time I've ever been at a Republican debate in Montgomery County. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's just an example of like how divided our party system, two-party system is, where, you know, I walk into a room and it's, you know, as involved I've been in uh, Maryland politics for the last three years, you know, you and Kim are probably the only people that I knew and, of course, the reporters uh, from before. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was one thing that was kind of like um, kind of shocking for me. But having said that, people were very welcoming um, and, you know, I've I've been a part of multi-candidate um, panels, and I know how, you know, um, anxiety-ridden um, they can be. But I do commend everyone for, you know, appreciating. I love the democratic process, so I like the fact that there are people who are willing to take on an incumbent, regardless of what party they are, because um, it kind of, like, adds to, you know, the fact that people do care and they want to make sure that, you know, voters get a chance for, more opportunities to consider, you know, other views. So that was good. Um, but, um, you know, stuff substantively, things are very different from, um, I guess, the other party. And I think that's very interesting as well. Um, very heavy on um, national security and um, immigration. And, um, you know, the abortion question is pretty settled on the other side. Um, so that was interesting. But, of course, you know, I commend, you know, the the one female candidate because I know that that's always an interesting, um, you know, take. Uh, mm-hmm. But at the same time, you know, uh, again, like the fact that there was a room full of people who were really enthusiastic and, um, you know, I just love the um, the opportunity for people to, to hear the voice of the candidate. Uh, Thanks, so Liz. I, I, uh, I commend them. No, I appreciate that. Phil Bell, you've been to many of these candidate forums before. Um, and you probably helped organize a few yourself, and you've and you know that the process of getting everybody in the same room, and you had look, you had eight candidates, so you had um, Frank Howard, David Vote, Ami Hober, Harold Painter, Dr. Scott Chang, Chris, Christopher Mason, Robin Ficker, and Terry Baker. You had all these guys in a room, and getting these people together um, and organizing with their their campaign to their schedules. It's tough, and and so Phil, what's what was your perspective of the the logistical operations of the debate? Well, I thought it was it was very well done. You know, first of all, just looking at the way that you know, I got there a little bit after seven thirty, probably got there about seven forty-five or so, and there was no way I could get in. Now, when you consider that, first of all, this is the sixth congressional district heavy in Montgomery County, where obviously there have been a lot of, of, uh, of Democrat voting going on for a long time at every level, that you had this level of interest in a Republican primary in any year, that shows that we're you know, in, a, in an outstanding position and at a very interesting time. But the way it was set so that the room was not too large, not too small, was perfect because the media that was in attendance and there was media there, there was also members of the Democrats there, uh, you know, taking a look at what's going on, that showed, hey, look, not only is there a lot of interest, but these folks know how to put on this, this sort of political theater. And I don't mean that in a negative way, in a positive way, that is going to attract voters and make people interested. Uh, number two, I thought the 
you know, the way that things were laid out within it, putting everybody uh, on a single table where it was easy to see, where everybody had the opportunity to speak, uh, easily be heard, was well done. And also the fact that I don't think any candidate could come out of there and say, well, look, you know what, I was disadvantaged by X, Y, or Z. Uh, just about the only the only thing that you could say was negative about the setup, the logistics, and otherwise is that there was a, a bulky microphone. But other than that, you know, that's that's something that's very difficult to control. So all in all, I think the party did a terrific job in putting it on, and I think the candidates did a great job in responding to that environment, uh, you know, working with the panelists in, in the way that you do as a candidate there, and a terrific moderator in Casey Aiken that I've had the chance to work with myself. I think that was an outstanding choice. Yeah. Uh, thanks, Phil. Kim and Eric, you had a little bit different perspective, and I want to go to Eric Beasley first. Eric, what is your perspective on the the aesthetic approach to the debate, the logistics, and the way that it was put together? I don't know. You know, I kind of felt like it was like a high school, like a you know, school president debate in that sense. I mean, how hard is it to get a couple of extra mics and not put blue tape up on your sign that you're hanging in the background? You know, just I, to me, it felt really sloppy overall. Like, I mean, I, I know all the people that organized it, and I'm sure they did their best, but, you know, there there, there comes a point where it's like, you know, this could be done better. This could be done more professionally and really, you know, present a better image of the Republican Party as a whole. Um, Kim, your perspective. Um, yeah, I kind of have to agree with Eric on that one. And as someone who's done events for our state party, honestly, in my opinion, that was just not acceptable. The blue tape, put the tape on the back of the banner. I mean, come on. Did everybody That's- see the blue tape that was that held up the? The Republican, yeah. Uh, so the, the blue tape. I mean, yeah. that was. I, I, no, I mean, that was. Kim, I'm totally with you. I wasn't going to say anything about it at all, but like, you, you know, I was looking at that for the entire show. Like, I was like, oh my god, it was distracting. Like, because it pulls yeah. your eye. Eric Moranga, Eric Moranga said it should have been red tape. Eric, what is your perspective well. of the uh, the aesthetic view of the debate? Um. Early on, it was a little distracting looking up at the tape and and the whole cluster with the microphones. Um, I'm sorry, it's but, just, it that was a disaster. The microphone but situation. As, but it's, yeah, it, it looked really bad. But as soon as it got going, um, the entertainment value of the debate was, and it wasn't a debate; it was a forum. I keep calling it a debate. It was, it was a forum. Yeah. Um, but that that soon took over. Um, the the tape and the microphone situation. Yeah, I agree. And you know, I felt I felt awful for Scott Chang, who sat on the the very if you're if you're looking at the panelist, he was on the left side, and Dr. Chang had to reach over um, Harold Painter to to use the mic. And Matthew, I saw how many times your mic was inoperable. It was. It was going in and out, and, and it caused a few problems. And at one point, I think he just shut the damn thing off. It, it just kind of shouted and said, hey, here's my question. This is what happened. I, I'm naturally a loud person, which I think made that less of an issue for me. But, yeah, I mean, that's kind of – we won't be having the problem in future forums since there are only three candidates for the next two. But, yeah, I think my checks are, you know, can, all, can always be done and double and triple checks. Well, we spent 15 minutes on kind of what happened 
uh, in the in the beginning, you know, how it looked, how it was prepared. And I just want to say uh, kudos to the Montgomery County Republican Party for putting this together and Dwight Patel um, for for making this happen and for sending out the invitations. And um, credit is due that they filled up a room full of people. And uh, that was it brought out a lot of interest. And I think it was exactly the right time because now people are beginning to pay attention to the 6th Congressional District. There are eight candidates, uh, including um, Ami Hober, who is a national security expert, Frank Howard, who is a small businessman, the former campaign chairman to uh, Dan Bongino, Delegate David Vogt, who ran once before for Maryland 6th Congressional District in 2013, but dropped out early in January in 2014 when he faced off with Dan Bongino. Uh, you had Harold Painter, who was a candidate in the 2014 election. Uh, in the primary, he lost the primary. He came up with about, I think, 46 or 700 votes, um, and he lost to Dan Bongino. You have Dr. Scott Chang, um, who I believe ran for office previously uh, in Montgomery County. Uh, you have Christopher Mason, who is a also a first-time candidate, a former United States Marine, and he lives in Frederick County. You have uh, Robin Ficker, who has run for the 6th Congressional District. And I even believe Robin Ficker was uh, the 6th Congressional District nominee in 1984. Um, so I wasn't even born yet. I was born in 85. And then we have <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then we have um, County Commission, Washington County Commissioner Terry Baker, uh, who um, is also a first-time congressional candidate, but has been in elected office since 2007, has run three times, and has amassed a lot of votes in Washington County. So the most important aspect of that debate was getting all the candidates there and to hear each one of them speak. And, you know, I think our Republican candidates, I think they did, uh, all did fairly well. And so I want to jump in, and I want to start with the opening statements. And Terry Baker, and I'm just going to read briefly some of the opening statements, and then we can assess them as a panel, and I'll call upon each of you. So Terry Baker, um, the candidates had, I think the, now Matthew, I, I want to go to you quickly. The, the candidates were uh, originally supposed to have three minutes for opening statements, but then it was reduced. Is that correct? Um, I know they were supposed to have more than one minute. I think it might have been two minutes originally or whatever, If it, um, but I think that ultimately if we had wanted to get to the real substance of the debate, that was not going to be, because Opening statements are basically just, you know, memorized things, and there's very little, you know, control that anyone other than the candidate has yeah. over them. So I think that we didn't really sacrifice too much in that, plus it gave us more time uh, for actual kind of substantive questions. So I, there was some shortening. I don't remember what the numbers were. Right. So the so Terry Baker, he, he began, uh, and he said that he lives in Washington County and that there's a bullseye on the 6th Congressional District. He's running... Um, because his dad and as his dad was a World War II veteran, which we we all thank anyone who has served uh, a, in in the United States military. Um, and and he's I, I I don't remember too. I mean I took notes on each of their candidates. I went back and watched it. Um, and then they moved on to Dr. Scott Chang. And um, <laughs> I thought it was funny. He said, "I want to make America great again." He he kind of hearkened to a little bit of Donald Trump, and he said he wants to reduce taxes. Increased population, in, uh, increased income for the, the population, and he wants to protect the Second Amendment. He has a medical degree and a Ph.D., 
He's married more than 70 or 27 years and has two children. And he finished his opening statement by saying he loves America. Um, Robin Ficker was sort of the uh, – <laughs> he, he was next. He was the grandiose presence. Robin stood up and started off, ladies and gentlemen. That's Robin Ficker. That's classic Robin Ficker. And we all sort of laughed. We knew and, – and going into this debate, I really kind of thought Robin Ficker was going to – I hate using the word hijack the debate, but I think that uh, – I think we all can agree that Robin Ficker was pretty subdued in this debate. Yes. Yes. Very subdued. <laughs> wait, 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 that was subdued? Oh, my God. That was subdued. Very subdued. <laughs> oh, my God. That, that was mild. Robin Ficker is a... He should stay right there. Like, yeah. uh, he should stay right well, there. <laughs> Robin is a personality, and he's done many good things, but anyway, his... His, his, he opened his statement by saying, talking about his taxpayer protection. He talked about his property tax limitation. He said, I keep the taxes down. I stopped property taxes and kept them down. Delaney supported these politicians that tried to keep taxes high. He gave uh, – Mr. Delaney gave money to Governor O'Malley. Um, he visited 60,000 houses during his last election, which was in 2014, and he lost in District 15 for state senate. And his son Flynn ran on the same ticket. Um, okay. Uh, then we went to Ami Hober, and she said, "I want to be your next congresswoman." Our greatest concern today is our national security. She said she believes she is her best choice, the best choice. And today's terrorists quiver want us to quiver in fear, and today's liberals want to take away your rights. And her candidacy has been endorsed by uh, several senior military officials, and she thinks, and she says they think I can win this election. Um, then we moved on to um, candidate Frank Howard, and he said, our, "I believe our nation is in grave danger. Our allies no longer trust us. Our enemies no longer fear us. He has a plan to reorganize the Department of Homeland Security, and he uh, he iterated that." Dan Bongino has encouraged him to run. Of course, Dan Bongino is the, the former nominee and came up short by 2,700 votes in the last time. And he said, I'm ready for this. And then we had Chris Mason. He said he's been watching this for years, and by that I, I assume he means um, he, he's been watching politics. He said he never intended to run for Congress. Common sense comes from the commoners. It's time to do something different. And then he said something that was really interesting. He he said, I am a nobody. That's what the Tea Party is really all about. And by that, I, I assume that he identifies with the Tea Party. Um, and it's about time we have common sense. I want to make a nation that is secure for them. I believe we are on the cusp of World War III. He's a former Marine, a former Marine infantry. And he, he said, I, I hope you will elect me. And then um, Harold Painter said, he's running for two main reasons to restore the working man to the middle class. And we need to bring manufacturing jobs back, cut the federal government. They are out of control, and we've got to pick them back up in control. And then we Delegate David Vogt finished his opening statement. He said, of course, Delegate Vogt paused for the Pledge of Allegiance. And, uh, you know, that we usually, mostly it functions in Republican, Democrat, whatever, we do the Pledge of Allegiance. Um and then Delegate Vogt said, I'm probably the youngest guy up here. I've worked with the governor. I've had time in Afghanistan. Um, we saw two years almost how close we have one, and we're going to do this in 2016. So uh, thoughts from the panel, our panel, our political panel, on the opening statements. And this is sort of a an all-skate. Um, so I'll tell you what. 
Um, I'm going to go in reverse order. Eric Moranga, uh, thoughts on the, opening, the candidate's opening statements? Um, obviously, uh, Robin kind of got everyone's attention going. Um, so that was good to see. Um, and this, go, going into my overall kind of analysis of who I thought did really good, I have to go with uh, Harry Baker. Um, and he kind of, if from his opening all through his – the, the, t- the times he got to speak, uh, I was really identifying with him and kind of shaking my head to the things he was saying. He was very open to working with uh, Democrats, and and he, he kind of reminded me of a, a of a Larry Hogan leadership style. So um, that that's who kind of left a mark on me. I, I know that kind of varied off from the question you, you said who had that opening. Uh, I would say I would say Robin kind of grabbed the attention. Um, everyone else. You know, Ami had a uh, a nice, well scripted opening, and and you know, funny even um um I'm sorry, um, Frank Howard, that line he used is a line that I've heard Rubio use um, about our country not being safe and um, our enemies are more emboldened. So uh, that's that's what I got out of that. But as far as um, openings, I, I'd kind of um, I'd say I was impressed with Terry Baker and. And kind of Robin Ficker took the uh, took the attention. Yes, uh, Kim, uh, thoughts, opening statements of the candidates. Um, I mean, they were all pretty short and sweet since they were all narrowed down to a minute. Um, you know, they all did well. I, I won't comment on Ficker. I will just leave that as being Ficker. Um, I mean, I think Amis was good. I think um, Carol Painter is good. He's definitely um, he definitely knows policy. Um, I mean, it, no one really grabbed me, opening statement-wise. Mm-hmm. Eric Beasley. Um, I mean, you know, it's an opening statement, so it's pretty much just kind of like a canned, you know, re- recitation of your talking mm-hmm. points. Um, I'd say the the one that kind of surprised me the most was uh, Christopher Mason, not just in his opening statement, but overall during the debate. Like, yeah. he's not a bad public speaker. I mean, he just doesn't have an organization uh, behind mm-hmm. him. You know, but everybody else, I think they did. Um, I think they did exactly what we expected them to do. Um, <laughs> everybody from Ficker to Howard to, to all of them. No surprises in the opening statements. Yeah, Liz, did you find any surprises or anything of note in their opening statements? Um, I would argue. I would say they're a very diverse panel, and mm-hmm. it's not you know racially or gender wise, but I think it. I guess goes to show you the diversity or it goes to show me the diversity of the Republican party, at least in this race. Um, I was really impressed by what Christopher Mason said. At first I was like, you're somebody, you know, <laughs> like, of course you're somebody, but I understood what he was saying. And um, he kind of brought it back during his closing. Um, so that was very, uh, it was, that was a kind of nice, uh, for better or worse uh, word gimmick. Um mm-hmm. Uh, Ami and uh, Frank seems like kind of, for, for, um, I don't want to say basic, but like standard, you know? Yeah. Um, Terry, but then, of course, Terry and Delegate Voigt were like, you know, they were, they are ser- they're public servants already. So I thought mm. that it was really useful for us to kind of hear what they've been doing um, for the community already and then how they would translate their service um, to their congressional lover. Level and right. of course that's my first moment of thicker, so I was very <laughs> taken aback. 
Um, but I, you know, it was it's it was a, a, you know good all around. Political theater at its best. Um, and uh, Phil, Phil, you you know Doctor <laughs> Doctor Chang, and uh, you know there's an uncomfortable truth that I think that we have to talk about is that, um, and this is this does not have any reflection on his policy issues. But it was a little – it's a difficult to understand Dr. Chang, and I hope that doesn't sound rude. But, um, Phil, you know him. You've worked with him. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, that, that is the one drawback that he has that you know, will keep him unquestionably this time from winning the election. Mm-hmm. Uh, having had the chance to get to know him, you know, everything he said is true about his background. And then I should also add he's got a fairly extensive business background in addition to the medical. And mm-hmm. when you, if you were able to put all that together and put it on a piece of paper, that's the kind of thing that would, uh, I think a lot of the folks in the western part of the district would say, well, you know what, we like that. That's a business-minded person that has a good family that, that, that comports with their values. And a lot of the folks in the eastern part of the district would probably look at that and say, well, look, this is an intelligent guy. We always, you know, because of the ethos of the area, like to, to uh, vote for somebody who they feel comfortable with in terms of their uh, their intellectual prowess. But what was interesting is the person that surprised me the most in their opening statement was actually Delegate Vote. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I had a chance to get to know Delegate Vote when he was first starting to run uh, against Dan Bongino in the primary uh, a few years back. And he was very green, very new to the process, and it was surprising to see the transformation from that person who was just very new didn't really understand, um, I don't want to say don't, didn't understand, but wasn't very attuned to district politics versus national politics, but now has completely changed in that he spoke well to the room, he had the focus on the district, and you could see where the combination of his experience plus the mentoring that, that I'm sure he's gotten from folks like Michael Hoff and the like along the way uh, has been beneficial to him. So that's what surprised me the most. Everybody else on the stage they did well, and I, I kind of echo that, um, or or at least did w- within the envelope of what you would expect from them. But that, that was what I thought about uh, uh, David surprisingly. Yeah, and Matthew, as a as a panelist and and watching from your side of the room, uh, any thoughts on opening statements? So I think that you know, for example, with Delegate Vote, he's always someone who's very impressive, and I thought that uh, the Pledge of Allegiance thing he did was absolutely great i mean that you know you can tell that that wasn't a cheap ploy um which i could see you know someone not there but you know in general doing is like oh let me do this but you know that was clearly very from the heart and it reminded me of you know when carson had had a moment of silence for the san bernardino shootings in his opening statement i just think that that's kind of you know it's a way to show that you know, there's more to this than people doing it for themselves. So I thought, I mean, that you know, that resonated with me. Um, I think that was good. I think that, you know, whether or not he realized how effective it was, the only quote I wrote down verbatim from the debate just while I was sitting there was when Chris Mason said, I am a nobody. And, you know, it's it, it sticks out because it's so unusual to be heard. So I think that in that in that way, it was an extremely effective way of getting people's attention to people who otherwise m- might not have given his candidacy uh, too much thought. I mean, that actually, I was reading, I think, in the Bethesda Magazine article um, mm-hmm. coverage about it. I think that's where he had gotten some mention of it after it because it's an interesting thing. You know, it's an 
his candidacy is more unusual, as he pointed out, you know, as I'm sure we'll talk about later, him vowing to never wear a suit if elected. Um, I think that Ficker was very effective throughout, um, being the only candidate to stand up. And one one moment that I think was funny, and I was talking to my family about after, and they hadn't heard because they were also in the back because they didn't have a seat, was there was, for one of the yes or no questions, he said yes or no, whatever he said, and that was all he said. And then someone in the audience said, what about Western Maryland? You know, no one doubts that he was effective in conveying his message, uh, which, you know, was also reflected in the opening statements. And um, I think that basically what's the most important part about an opening statement is not screwing it up because that, that and your closing statement are the only things that you have control over going into the debate. You don't know what you're going to be asked. You don't know what other candidates are going to say. So if you come in unprepared with the, you know, three-minute remarks from the opening and the closing statement, then that kind of shows that you didn't give the debate the serious consideration that it merits. So I think the fact that no one did anything bad during it shows that we have a very serious field of candidates. I agree. I agree. They went into the first question. They did four rounds of questioning. They were asked by... um, by Red Maryland's uh, Brian Griffith, and then yourself, Cat O'Connor, and then there was—I guess there was a last-minute add-on by D. Hodges, who's part. What is her? What's what's her role? I for, I forget. I, I apologize. I should know this, but she's a Maryland Taxpayers. Uh, Maryland Taxpayers Association. Okay. Okay. Um, so the first question went to Harold Painter, and you talked about tariffs, and Brian Griffith asked the question. To explain two different ideas, Painter said there's there's two different um, ideas on tariffs. He's talking about a level playing field, and he um, and then he said if the foreigners can make a better product, we should buy a better product. Cat um, went on to talk about the 150 billion dollars to Iran. How would you use that money to stimulate the American economy? She threw that to Frank Howard, and Howard said I would put that to reducing our national debt. Then, Matthew, you asked a question of Terry Baker about the widening of I-81 and working with the Hogan administration. And, Matthew, you that mentioned – your expertise had come Yeah. Uh, oh, well, thanks. Um, and then you mentioned yeah. that, Hogan, that Hogan has agreed to allocate 40, $45 million, and you asked Baker how that he would plan to work with Governor Hogan to allocate those transportation funds. And I should point out that in the counties now uh, – uh, Maryland counties have lost a tremendous amount of what they call highway user revenue funds, and they're struggling. I mean, in Washington County, I believe it's almost like 90%. So it's a tough battle. And Baker, he answered the question, I believe, very effectively. He talked about the project to widen I-80, uh, I-81, which is the uh, one of the interstates that goes through Washington County from the Pennsylvania uh, line up in Greencastle, which it calls, it's technically called state line, to uh, Berkeley County, West Virginia, and you literally on 81 cross the Potomac River on the bridge, and then you're immediately in um, what they call falling waters. So, and in that that stretch is about 10 to 13 miles. Um, and Baker said they just opened up a huge distribution center in West Virginia, and they have. And as you all know, if you've ever traveled down from Hagerstown to Martinsburg, you go over into uh, Berkeley County. They have excellent, excellent infrastructure because they have three lanes. Um, and I think Baker even mentioned that they're only talking about widening one mile of of, uh, yeah. of Maryland's yeah. Interstate 81. 
which Eric Beasley, we know that that would be an ineffective use of taxpayer dollars. Look, and Baker made the point, why don't we widen the entire 81 in the state of Maryland? Yeah, it's like this. It's like the stupidest plan I've probably ever heard in my life. Okay, unless there's some sort of like massive business park or something like that, that every single truck's going to get off the road at that exit. Yeah, you're still going to have the same problem. I mean, like you for stuff like this, you need to plan ahead. That's why we have the traffic problems in D.C. because of poor urban planning. So, like, how about we just like, you know, what is it, 13 miles? Okay, if you can build one mile, you can build 13. <laughs> Yeah, Ryan, I, um, well, real, real quick, real quick. Um, this is Eric Moraga. Yeah, this is Eric. The problem actually, and, and David Votes talked about this. I've heard him talk about this at the legislative breakfast for the chamber. The problem with the uh, funding for roads, uh, it starts in Annapolis. The fund is for transit and roads, and it's one fund which they have to fight over every year between transit and roads. And you know, you know, it's a, it's, the, it's the same issue when Hogan had to, you know, when there, he was being pressed for the red line or road development. Um, so, and, and Vote was talking about having an idea to split the two so that in the future, the transit doesn't have to on what the roads need and the roads don't have to, you know, take a backseat to the transit. Um, and then that way, you know, Baltimore City can get what they need and then the rural communities can get what they need. So I think that's more of an issue that can be looked at at the state level. And that goes to even talk about a lot of the questions that were asked. I mean, the question from Frank Howard, what he would do with that money, a congressman can't actually do anything with that money. So, um, That's a good point. You know, the practice, yeah, the, 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 some of the questions didn't take consider um, that a congressman has certain uh, powers and limitations, and, you know, the guy's not running for president. So uh, there were a few questions like that that made me actually shake my head and think about that. Um, but anyway, that was... I just wanted to bring that up about the uh, the road situation and how that's more of a state issue, to be honest. Yeah. So well, I want to move on. To, uh, jump Go in, ahead, Bill. Uh, as well on that, Ryan. The you know there were there were a couple of things that I didn't notice. You know, there was a lot of discussion about widening I-81, and I've I've actually been a frequent denizen of that highway myself. Mm-hmm. A lot of the issue with traffic congestion and backups and the like, it doesn't necessarily come because of the lack of lanes. It becomes because it's very difficult for cars and trucks to enter and exit the highways. It's the merges, it's the traffic lights, it's the stop signs at the end of the exits that will will frequently lead to that. Sure. But the An other accident. thing that wasn't mentioned uh, is, is rail. The Norfolk Southern, which travels through there on their Crescent Corridor, recently spent uh, a substantial amount of their own money and a substantial amount of public money in several states to compete with I-81 more effectively. And while I'm not in any way endorsing or supporting or even intimating that public money should go to that, what you know, what I didn't see and what I'd like to is, uh, you know, more of addressing, and, and actually there was one candidate that mentioned, public-private partnerships, but ways that we can stimulate private capital investment without actually spending the, the government's money on this sort of thing. Okay, because I want to... Terry Baker mentioned public-private par- partnerships. He did. Pardon? He did. He did. Yeah. Terry Baker mentioned the public-private partnership and how it's been successful in Virginia. Okay, so I need to move on. Uh, D. Hodges said my first question really isn't a question. She put on their table a taxpayer pledge, and um, Ficker sort of uh, hijacked it a little bit and said – 
He's never met a Western Marylander he didn't like. Well, I just want to correct the record. Robin Ficker hates me, so that's a lie. Uh, <laughs> and I'm from Western Maryland. So um, he also said that he's not the, that he was the only one to testify against the Montgomery County bag tax, and I've come to find out that that isn't exactly true. And uh, Ficker's demeanor, I mean, I know that he has a lot of passion, but I feel like that if you're coming up on a general election against John Delaney, like it or not, um, there has to be a, there's a tone that struck people as perhaps being angry. And, you know, Robin Ficker, he has that reputation. But anyway, let's move on. Um, there was a question by two vote by Brian Griffiths, and um, they talked about the transit system, and vote said that there hasn't been – Delaney hasn't made a major difference. Then an interesting question from Cat O'Connor to Christopher Mason about the minimum wage. Mason said, I don't agree with the minimum wage. Um, the higher the minimum wage, we actually lose money on the back end. Um, and then, let's see, they, were, they asked a question of Dr. Scott Chang about supporting uh, a tax increase for uh, pre-kindergarten, which John Delaney has proposed. He said he does not support a tax increase. Um, and then Chang was asked as a medical doctor to deal with the cost of health care to replace Obamacare. Um, he said it's not good. It's between a doctor and a patient. And then um, Ami Hober was asked about the the TTP agreement. Uh, that, and that once again, that's TPP. Um, she said it's a very difficult decision to make. She has major objections to it. Um, it's a TPP is very much a reflection of NAFTA. And she said it's a, an approach to managing trade, and she said, uh, I'm assuming rhetorically, how does it affect Maryland, the primary objective, um, and it does not allow amendments or consideration of changes. She objects to things um, of the take-all approach of the world. Liz Matori, um, as a candidate yourself for Congress, um, let's talk uh, quickly about the TPP. Uh, what, what, are, what are your thoughts? Well, that's so funny that you mentioned it. Everybody talks about the NAFTA situation, right? But um, I've been doing my, you know, research on the Republican Party, and then, you know, it was George H.W. Bush that started the negotiations with Mexico, and if he had a second term, it would have been his baby. But they'll share it. Um, if anything, um, it's, it is something that's kind of strange that puts, whether it's candidates or even Congress, in, in, in a predicament to have one have an opinion on something that no, that that the people haven't had a part a, a, a part a played a part on, you know, they haven't been able to see it. I think it was just released um, most recently, um, and you know, I think if anything, we should be looking for things to help our economy out here. Um, and and at the end of the day, it almost seems as if like those these agreements are so far out of reach of the American public that. You know, we're, we're... hello. <laughs> yes, we're we're we have some interesting f feedback there. This is online radio, so we have weird <laughs> things that happen. Um, but um, you know, if, if anything, it's, it, it's a, Darth it's a Vader was online. Right, it's a tough situation <laughs> that whoever I don't know who these people are that are negotiating for us. You know, I, I thought that, you know, the people who are um, looking out for our best interests are supposed to be looking out for our best interests, but it apparently it, isn't. I need to stop happening. you. If, if, if there's anybody that has the radio on or the, the link in the background, I can hear feedback, and it's and if you could turn that off, that would be great. 
I don't know who has the link up, but I can hear the feedback in the background, and it's 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 plucking my nerves. And you got to turn it off. So yeah. Okay, I want to move so. on part. I want to move on to part two of of part one. I think the candidates were asked a fair amount of questions. Um, across the board, it was spread out. Uh, it was done very well. Um, there was really nothing that that, that struck me. Um, they, it was uh, Ami Hober's answer on the TT, uh, TPP, um, very interesting. Um, and, and that I think that she would, you know, should she be the nominee in the general election, um, she's going to be running. Um, uh, she's going to be running a, basically in opposition to John Delaney's position on that. So that should be an interesting. Uh, parallel there and seeing seeing how that works. So let's move on to part two. Um, Brian Griffiths talked about land management policies set set by Congress. And Robin Ficker, in classic Robin Ficker style, he wrote, my client in this race is Western Maryland. He used to go to court when it was in Frostburg. (laughs) Eric Peasley, you're going to appreciate that. Um, He says, we have a beautiful district. I'm not going to worry about Western Oregon. I want to worry about what people in Western Maryland want. I am going to be working with Governor Hogan, who was an expert on land management because he spent a lot of time in Western Maryland. So, um, Kim, uh, I know that Robin Ficker is your favorite candidate in this race. So what do you think? Um, I mean, overall, honestly, I, I, I just wasn't impressed. I think, um, you know, Robin answered questions without actually answering the question asked of him for most of the time. Um, and his little gimmick of he's for Western Maryland, I don't know, personally I found it to get old pretty quickly. Um, and I just feel, you know, if you're a serious candidate running for Congress and you're in a forum like that, you need to actually answer the question. I agree. And they they moved on um, to fracking. They, they talked a little bit about, uh, and Dr. Scott Chang answered the question. He said, we need new technology and a renewable energy source. He he supports gas, electric. Um, they asked a question, one of the panelists, would you discuss some of the clean energy solutions and what you support and what you don't, um, including, this was from D. Hodge, uh, clean gas and windmills. And Mason said, I support dirty energy. Uh, we talk about fighting these wars. It doesn't work. We can't have a war with 50% of the gas. We need to become energy independent. I've been out to Western Maryland, and those windmills look really bad. He talked about um, nuclear power plants. And Frank Howard uh, had an, his response was, I am also an, uh, for all the all of the above for clean energy sources, and he supports continued private sector and federal government research. And Frank also mentioned that uh, he has a tremendous respect for wildlife, but as far as energy independence, we cannot force it down the throats of the markets. Um and Baker chimed in and said that Washington County is number one in solar energy. Um, and then uh, Brian Griffiths asked Ami Hober about ethanol subsidies in part two. Um, and Ami said she doesn't have a comment on that. Um, she doesn't know the subject well enough. But then she mentioned that she did work on the Yucca Mountain Project. And uh, she said we, can, we should seriously consider going back to nuclear power. Um, Matthew, there was a question about mandatory labeling of GMOs. Kat O'Connor asked that question. Um, that was an interesting choice for a question. And just, you know, out of curiosity, could you could you explain that? Oh, well, that was an audience question uh, that mm. she had asked. And um, I think that 
I don't think it specifically had said on the index card yes or no. I don't think that that we, we have a series of yes or no questions. I mean, to me, I don't think that that would be a yes or no kind of question. I don't remember if she had asked it as a, is it a yes or no? Um, but it was an interesting question. I mean, I think that, you know, it shows that the audience has a wide variety of interests oh, sure. in the subject matters out there. And I think that, you know, I'm glad that, I mean, all of us asked, and I'm pretty sure all of us asked at least one question from the audience or incorporated yeah. some of it into one of our questions. Um, so I don't have too many thoughts on it. I think that, you know, it was definitely a question I don't think that candidates were preparing for, which I think is valid. I mean, they should be, you know, as long as it's a substantive question, I don't think that there was, you know, there's anything that they should be unwilling to answer. I do think that, you know, it takes guts to do what Ami did with the ethanol question and say, I don't have an answer. Yeah. Rather than trying to fake her to, way to through it, an you know, to to BS your way, and that's that's a primary. That's why you know, we, like it or not, you look at the the Trump rise, and Phil Bell and I have discussed this. Is that people are really tired all over this country of hearing people who are running for office or longtime politicians BS their <laughs> way through a response and. Um, Phil and I have talked at length, and Phil has a really good grasp on the understanding of the Trump rise. And even though I'm still trying to decipher it and what it means, Phil Bell, when a politician says, look, or, or someone that's running for office, I don't know the answer to that question. How does that reflect on them, and what is that perception from the audience? Yeah, it can be it can be twofold. First of all, and usually what ends up happening is it's a negative for the candidate overall because – you know, while on one hand, as voters, we have the expectation that, especially in a legislative context, that they're going to be here, they're going to focus on the district, they're going to focus on these issues that matter to us. We also do then, also, you know, give them the idea that, well, perhaps you should be a know-it-all and able to address any issue that comes out. Mm -hmm. What the difficulty is, and this is why the Trump phenomenon has been so successful, you will see... For a very long time, we've had the same form of campaigning, which was not so much that you couldn't admit that you didn't know the answer, but to always give milk toast enough answers that no matter what you did, you didn't go too far in irritating somebody except people on the extremes of either side. Yeah. Uh, and the difficulty is that, you know, how is it that you can say, well, you know what, that's not an issue that we've dealt with in this district maybe because we don't have extensive uh, agriculture, although the 6th District does. Yeah. Uh, and so, therefore, you know, this isn't something that we're addressing, whether it's GMOs or, you know, what's going to go on at Yucca Mountain or, or otherwise. That's what's tough. But what I can say is, you know, based on some of these responses, they, the candidates did make an effort to try to walk that line without, you know, running afoul of where we are today, which is that people want actual answers to your questions. And today, and I don't know, is a lot better than uh, something that's mealy-mouthed and, and mediocre. Well, I think that uh, Ami Hober, um, be because she said that she had not, you know, I, I, my my impression was that because that she didn't have all the information at her disposal, um, she didn't want to say at that time. But, uh, right. you know, I, I see your point. So I want, to, I want to keep moving because we got a lot to talk about. Um, they talked about coal, which is important because it, it matters in Western Maryland, and delegate votes said that, 
um, Western Maryland's population was built by coal, especially in Cumberland. And um, Harold Painter had mentioned that um, if you want to have the EPA control pollution, it's a you know it's a bad idea. He talked a little bit about bringing jobs uh, back to Western Maryland. And Robin Ficker was asked about saving the bay and the Conowingo Dam, and uh, he then pivoted back to that we should have two new reversible lanes on 81, that he's instead focused on Western Maryland, and that he's got two votes already, mine and my son's, um, and Congressman Delaney doesn't even live in the district. People laugh, but not at him, not with him, but at him. Um, and then we have uh, Chris Mason. He said, what, the question was asked, what is the greatest threat to this nation? And he said, I believe... Global warming is a total hoax. And then he remarked that the greatest threat to America is the Democratic Party. Thoughts on that? Anyone? It's an all-skate. Wow. Well, I'll, I'll take that. Well, that was a little strange, I thought. And if, you're, if you want to be a serious contender in Congress, you're going to have to reach across the aisle and work with the other party. And I just kind of felt personally that that kind of was a slap in the face. And how do you expect to work with Democrats when you're going to call them the biggest threat? Um, well, I mean, honestly, I think that being in the room as, as you know, I I can imagine someone on the other side saying that about Republicans, and I think that that's kind of where we get the the national, more negative, divisive rhetoric seeping into our um, to our little you know little state. Um, and I think that if anything, he like not everybody is on his wavelength, but there are people out there that are. And I think that he was articulating that, but not remembering that District Six and of course District Eight are a blend of both parties. Yeah, that's a that's that's a true statement. So with that, let's go on to part three of the debate. They talked about foreign policy, and it was it began with the world now seems. In flames, Iran and Saudi Arabia are threatening one another. Um, they talked about delegates votes mosque bill, and, I, and I've learned that pretty much um, that bill where he – delegate vote had – actually, Beasley, I'm going to go to you. Um, can you talk about delegate votes mosque bill, and then we'll put it in the context of this debate. Yeah, so um, basically the uh, delegate vote once introduced a bill that will uh, pretty much uh, pull the tax-exempt status from uh, churches, mosques. Uh, the language was targeted towards mosques um, and and to as a way to basically say, hey, you know, you're not actually a church doing good. You're actually advocating for terrorism, so we're going to yank your nonprofit status. Um, I mean, it's kind of – there. there's some mixed reactions there. Um, as as you've probably seen, I had a mixed reaction to it. I wasn't a big fan of the bill as it was introduced, um, but it does, did sound like from the debate that delegate vote has kind of pared down language and made it a lot more, like, focused, so right. it's not so general. Um, we know how bad the federal government is in targeting people. So, yes. you know, I think it's a – it sounds like he made some improvements to his original bill, at least. Okay. Um, they then well, asked – I, I got to move on. And then they asked about the governor's Syrian, posi uh, Syrian position, and they asked um, they asked Howard and Hober whether they agree with it. Howard had a great response. He said, I support Governor Hogan 100 percent. The day that the decision was released by Governor Hogan, he was on Twitter lauding uh, the governor. Um, and then he talked about that, you know, the, the major problem is Congre Congressman Delaney. He said that he is in uh, 
he is in favor of of um, uh, uh, Congressman Delaney is in favor of speeding it up. It blows his mind. He thinks that we should uh, should make it more than ten thousand. Um, then Ami Hober said that she thinks things are evolving very rapidly, and she unwinded the the, the Sunni Shiite relationship and their fundamental religious doctrines. Um, then they asked uh, Chang and Vote how you would build up your defense. Um, Vote had a great response, and he said, "I've seen this directly." from inside the armed forces, and he said, I know where we can save money. And he, <laughs> Delegate Vote made a really great point when he said they sprint like a mad dash to spend every dollar in the budget so they don't lose it at the end of the next year. And that's true. I mean, if you, anybody who's ever worked for the Department of Defense um, or for the Department of Army, I know because my I have two family members who do, um, come time for the next uh, – when the budget year begins, you know, they're always scrambling to, to find money and um, – and then delegate vote reiterated that we must stand by our allies um, and, and Israel. Uh, they talked about, so it got kind of interesting. They, they shifted over, the debate shifted to immigration reform, and it was asked, do you support Mr. Delaney's comments on immigration reform? Robin Ficker said that he's pretty much opposed to Delaney down the line, and that's why we need, he used the word recumbent. That's why we need to get rid of the recumbent. Now, Christopher Mason, interesting, he said, having weak borders allows people to get in. What we need to do is stop immigration altogether in this country. Yeah, that was, was just too much. Like, he was, I don't even know. <laughs> he was booed. And then he said, he, he said again, we must stop immigration altogether. We can't even vet these people. 30% of the people end up voting Democrat. It becomes a voter drive for the Democratic Party, Eric Moranga, does immigration, people allowing people into this country, even legally, does it end up becoming a voter drive for the Democratic Party? No. Um, I am an example of that. In, I was born in Kenya, and now I live here, and I'm a Republican. So, no, the answer <laughs> is no. Um, a, lot, a, lot of, a lot of educated um, foreigners that come here who end up learning the system for themselves end up voting conservatively. So the answer to that is no. Again, um, it's only um, you know most of the case to- most of the time it's illegal immigrants who are um, uh, trained to think that it's the Democratic Party that's providing all all the support for their travel to the United States. And therefore, they vote for them. So that that kind of makes sense in that aspect. You know, I would say I would say that that, um, if anything, has the closest effect to voter fraud would be from that uh, from that angle. But um, no, voter voter fraud exists. I think you know that's another that's a, a main reason why Democrats um, are very easy to to talk about um, illegal immigration. So it's a touchy subject there. And, uh, banning immigration altogether is absolutely absurd. It would it would harm the economy. It would harm um, trade. It would harm relationships between uh, small businesses. It would just be a, a totally ridiculous idea. Yeah, I want to move on. Uh, and, well, and I, well, really, really quickly, actually, can I just uh, say something? A lot of people think that, um, particularly like people from Latin descent, will vote Democrat, and they're really worried about an upsurge in you know, the population. But the funny thing is, 
when the children, particularly the ones who grow up here um, but are from other countries, register to vote, they actually register to vote as independents because they come from countries that are very hostile um, relationship from their government and their population. So they actually are now independent. Just want to yeah. let you know. Thank you. And uh, one let's quick move. sentence to add. If okay. They only become Democrats if we just assume that they'll become Democrats. This is Matthew, right? I'm sorry, I can't. Yeah. If, okay. Yeah, it's Matthew. Yeah. We yeah, that's great great point, Matt. I mean, it's like the Republican Party now has the responsibility. I mean, and, and both parties, and we're not. It's not a co-opting, but you know, our messaging alone should be. We have to work and see how we can get into minority communities, new uh, and new Americans, to bring them over. But the messaging and, coming from the Democrats is that Republicans want you to go back home. I mean, you can't argue with that. There's there's no there's no arguing with that. It's a totally unreasonable argument, and that's not the case. But you hear right. Democrats over and over saying that Republicans are against immigration. That's yeah. not true. They're against illegal immigration. I, I got to move Democrats on, guys. Like there's so much to cover. I apologize. We got to move on. Um, they they talked about. Uh, they asked Terry Baker a question. Would you support? I'm sorry. Our cat is on the table and he's like looking at my computer right now. I admit you have to get off the table. You are not invited to this conversation, so please get down. Um, he said, "Would you support a formal declaration of war against ISIS?" Brian Griffiths asked the question. Terry Baker had a very interesting response. He said. What are you waiting on? Before he came here, he did a little research on – and he he named a litany of different terrorist attacks. And then he said, we have Obama, Clinton, Kerry guiding us, and they can't figure it out. They want to bring more immigration, more refugees in the United States. The same people who tortured us, hate us, and killed us continue to bring them in. Let's stop for a while. Let's get our country under control. And then he said, if I were in war – I think the last people I would want in my foxhole are Clinton, Obama, Kerry. I'd want to take them out first. Kim Mueller, do you have a response to that? I, I do. I have a real, real problem with that. I mean, whether you agree with the other party or not, whether you agree with our sitting president or not, what he said sounds like a threat to... Our president. And that's, that's not men's words. That was, I mean, if the I mean, United I mean, States my, Secret okay, Service were there. there. My grandfather worked for the CIA. That's considered a threat. Um, I, I found that to be a little disturbing and unsettling. It's a weird thing to say. I mean, Phil Bell, I mean, I, I, you know, what is your take? I mean, to say that we should take out Obama, Clinton, and Kerry first. What, what's, your, what's your thoughts? Well, yeah, it, it, it's not a good thing to say. There's no question about that. But you have to remember... There's some, the reality is there's some candidates that, that don't have a very good choice, but, uh, sorry, excuse me, good chance to succeed, and also those will tend to be the ones that are a little bit more, I guess the best the best phrase is, is, is a little bit overwrought in their presentation. It's not something I would say, it's not something I agree with, but at the same time, you know what, the, this is part of the reason why you do these forms is you let folks read themselves out. Uh, deal with those, and, and you got to move on to a smaller number of candidates for the nominee, ultimately. Yes. I want to move on, um, and, and thank you for that, Phil. I appreciate that. But um, I think, you know, Terry Baker's response, I, there's a little bit of, uh, 
you, you have to tone it and you have to gauge that and to say, especially if you want to win Montgomery County, that you take out Clinton, Obama, and Kerry. Thinking about a Republican general or a general election, I mean, that's not something that's very prudent, and it, it's sort of surprising. And maybe Terry Baker will walk that back, but nonetheless, we got to move on. Um, they asked about the Second Amendment, um, and they talked about um, they t- and then they asked Ami. They said, "Do you think it's necessary? And do you support the right for self-defense?" Ami Hober said, "Well, this is easy. We own guns, and I'm a good shot." And I think that that was. <laughs> That was pretty smart. And uh, she said, if you want to take me on, feel free. No, I don't. Um, I, I've, I've <laughs> talked to Ami quite a few times, and uh, she's pretty tough. Um, she said she supports the Second Amendment, and she will not stand idly by while this right of ours is being idly threatened. Um, and then they went on to immigration. Um, and this is and – they, and they asked Harold Painter a question about immigration, and, of course, he does not support illegal immigration. Um, okay, so we have a few. We have about uh, twenty-six minutes left, and uh, I want to spend this on talking about part four. And you know, if we have time, we'll get to the closing statements. But, uh, folks, there was a little bit of—I hate saying fireworks—but um, what was discussed next managed to make its way into uh, Bethesda's Be- Bethesda Beat by Lou Peck. Bill Turk of the Washington Post wrote about this, and uh, Dopey Brian Griffiths from uh, the hardly listened to Red Maryland Network, which is a total disaster. <laughs> Their ratings are completely irrelevant. I mean, they have, I mean, the three listeners that listen to Red Maryland probably are listening to this show now. Um, so I just want to say that um, I thought it was really interesting. Uh, they asked Ami Hober specifically about abortion, okay? And then I just want to have to note, Matthew Foldy, as you were sitting there, Robin Ficker, he interrupted Brian Griffiths, and, which I think was wrong, and he said, can we try to even this the questions amount among the panelists? That's her seventh question. Um, and uh, Matthew, I saw kind of everybody kind of just look over at the moderator, Casey. <laughs> we're all just like, oh, no, is this, is this where things are about to crack? And yeah, I just, so I think that well, – yeah. Go ahead. Oh, so I, I think that he was clearly counting the number of questions that she got to make a point like that. I mean, we made – I mean, I'm, hopefully it was obvious we took pains to make sure that the questions were as evenly allocated as you can do with a field of eight people. And I think Casey was spot on when he said, look, we've been pretty good about yeah. allocating questions fairly. Thank you. Um, and I'm glad and that, that, that that's been trying to something more, you know, of an outburst or anything. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, the moderator said we've been pretty equal, Mr. Ficker. Uh, Brian Griffiths asked Ami Hober. He started out that the National Political Women's Caucus, they have a standby plan. They have a plan put parenthood icon. Uh, they support Nancy Pelosi. They've also endorsed Donna Edwards. <laughs> and he said, Mrs. Ms. Hober, do you support abortion and why do you have such an association with a militantly pro-abortion organization, Ami Hant. Here's Ami Hober's response, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing. I'm one of the few Republicans in the NPWC. I've been the founder of that organization in L.A. and Virginia. There was a Republican chair whose widow was here today. Uh, we stood united in supporting women. I've also supported women all my life. That's that's an organization that operates all over the state. League. They support um, shelter and services to women who were abused. And then somebody in the audience uh, kind of yelled out and out of turn. They heckled her and said, do you support abortion? 
Hober said, I do not think that's a reasonable issue. That's settled law. I will uphold the Constitution and the laws of this country. That's settled law. And um, Eric Beasley. Eric Beasley, I want to go to you. What's your take? Oh, yeah. So, um, I mean, I, I think it was a bait question. I think that it I feel like it was planted. I mean, nobody in the 6th District is talking about abortion. Okay, we're talking about jobs. We're talking about fracking. We're talking about, you know, like, like issues that actually matter, okay, issues that pull above 1% as far as the most important issue to people that they want their elected officials to deal with. And so, I, I mean, I think it was just bait. I mean, real, to me, what it really shows is that, uh, you know, Griffiths is just a – he's a theocrat. That's what he is. He, he believes in – he believes that government should follow his religious beliefs and impose them upon everybody else. You know, which if there's anything that we've learned from the last election, it's that people don't want big government. They want liberty. And, you know, that's what the question was about. It was a fair question to ask the candidates in a Republican primary whether they are pro-life or pro-choice. Um, Eric, I agree that this question polls so little. And the reason why Governor Hogan was successful in the last election is because he never got sucked down the social issues wedge. Uh, yeah, exactly. And so, Remember when Anthony Brown did that stupid commercial with the AR-15 sitting up against the trees and all the parties? Okay, and people laughed about it because they were like, Hogan hasn't said anything about about putting you know assault rifles in the parks or whatever. You know, pe- people realized that it was it was a joke. And to me, a question like this in a in a district like the sixth district is pretty much irrelevant. I, I think Brian Griffith. No. Look, it, go ahead, Phil. Who, who's yeah, up, no, Phil Bell? I, I have to, yeah, I want to want to disagree with you guys on a couple of points. You know, it the the difficulty that we have in an electoral standpoint with the Republican Party right now largely is that we've gotten away from what the three-legged stool is. While you might go ahead and take a poll and say, well, you know what, it appears that abortion is only one percent issue. Well, the problem is if you lose the people who say, look, we care about abortion and nothing else, then we end up with a, we end up having to go find votes from other quarters where it might be difficult. Because even if that's not to be a prominent issue, you can't tell a lot of folks who are ordinarily inclined to vote with you, hey, look, you know what, we're going to ignore this completely, we don't care. Because after a certain point, they will, and that's when things get difficult. And also, Ryan, I just want to let you know, like, I'm on the campaign trail, like, all the time. I always get the abortion question. Um, And so, unfortunately, you know, it's something that, if anything, the organization that she helped found is, you know, is there to get more women into public office. Like, that's honestly the issue that we all should be focused on, regardless of if we're pro or anti. Um, but at the same time, I mean, I it is an issue for a lot of, you know, faith-based um, voters, and I respect it. So um, it was kind of like there's a lost opportunity to focus on the real, not so much real, but, you know, the deficit in women representation. But um, it, was, it was a gotcha situation, and that was well, it was My opinion Ryan is, is – go ahead, Eric. Real quick, if I could piggyback off that and also what uh, what Phil Bell said, um, that – the 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 real question with that whole situation is was her answer, um, and I think we haven't really looked into that much, because she said it's settled law. Um, there's plenty of other settled laws that are terrible right now that we want to get rid of, 
including Obamacare, so I, and that, which is another big deal for Republicans. So the answer that it's settled law really doesn't satisfy me. Or, point. And I don't think it satisfies other Republicans, primary voting Republicans, that just because it's settled law that, that we but, should ignore it and then and, and somehow move on. Yeah. That, that's not a, that's not a reasonable answer. I, 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 think, that, yeah. I think that that's Her a – Her answer did suck. <laughs> I mean, it's it, – well, it, that – I I agree with you, but Ami, Ami said that she's a mother, a stepmother, and a grandmother, and she said, I think I understand in ways unique – in this group of candidates about the preciousness of life. But I, I believe the abortion question has been set a law, and I support the laws of the United States. Um, okay, I think that, that the criticism is there. No, Ryan, Ryan, honestly. I need one at a time, please. I need one at a time. We're not we're, – we're, go ahead, Liz. Really quickly, I, I'm just saying the reason why she gave that answer is because she didn't want to say she's pro-choice. Yes. And it's very hard for her not to say that. Yes. And and, and, and and it really will end up being a straightforward question. Now, I'll tell you this real quick. And this is abortion is one of the things which I, I usually vary on with, you know, my so, my socially liberal leanings. Because uh, real quick, an alarming statistic, but last year there were more aborted black uh, kid, uh, babies than were born in, in New York City. Wow. And when, when Chris Mason said that it, it's a... Uh, you know, it's almost a genocide. He was right. He was right. I mean, kids are dying at an alarming rate, and no one cares. So that answer, you know, for me, I, I, you know, it's a her versus a, a Democrat, and she's still pro-choice. You know, gosh, it sucks, but I'll simply... Well, hold on a second. I, I, I need to be fair. And she never said that she was pro-choice. No, and that's, she's not. And that's and the, that's the but lie. But she have to answer the question. What, I, I understand saying, that, but... But this is this is something that I am, you know, I, I don't. I'm a political blogger. I wouldn't call myself a journalist because I take I come down on side. But the point is, she never said she was pro-abortion. Red Maryland ran with a duplicitous headline and made that claim. Brian Griffiths overtly lied because he has an agenda, which was disgusting. Yeah, no, for sure. He did. And he but should. Sure he did. So and Kim, what I want to know the question right. is not that was the, the the reason why she, he was able to run with that all those things is because she didn't say she was pro life and those that's the I language bet. the limiting the yeah, limiting that's, language that's true. the whole conversation yeah. about all of this we have to pick two that's the problem that all women candidates or anybody who has any sort of sympathy for all sides have a problem with yeah you know, and shame on Brian Griffiths for. Shame on Brian Griffiths for what he did in the aftermath of that because he then invited Ami Hober onto Red Maryland on Thursday night, and then he said that she rejected her offer. Well, I don't trust Brian Griffiths. And look, I used to like – I like Brian. He's he's a nice guy. A, a lot of people don't like him, just like people don't like me. That's fine. He's he's an attack dog. He is what he is, and uh, okay. Um, but it, it speaks to the credibility of Red Maryland when they ask her to come on a show, but they don't print the fact that she never rejected them. She had a previous engagement on Thursday evening because I asked the campaign. I reached out, and because I don't I, – Brian Griffiths is trying to make a point. He's trying to sabotage her because it, it, it's like he gets off on this, and it's it's weird. And and, and, well, and I'm sorry. Brian Griffiths well, – uh, uh, Ryan, let me, let me say something. Look. 
what I will what I will say, and you know, as I said when I responded on your Facebook page to this, yeah, that was a great I response, that, by the way. Thank you. I, I think that they both handled it well. It is Brian's job, as you know, whether journalist or blogger, or whatever, whatever you call himself, to vet the candidates and to to do that. But she also responded well when she came on your show and she said, "Look, you know what? When he did it, disgraceful." She was very aggressive in attacking the media, and that's the sort of thing that will have to be done with the so-called mainstream media when you get into a general election, no matter who the candidate is. Now, the one thing I'll say, though, that's, that's a little bit different, I did follow the exchange with the um, with the campaign manager. My guess is that he probably looked at that and said, hey, look, I'm being blown off here. Uh, you know, this is a, a way to kind of push them into – into sitting down with us, and you know, even if they say, "Well, hey, I can't do it Wednesday at six. Let's do it Thursday at five. Yeah, uh, and that, that might have gotten a little out of hand. So that's that's the way I would see that. Well, the campaign, no, was a thing. In the email exchange that I was sent, the campaign sent me the the the, the can well, uh, Ami's campaign manager, Lauren Gruber, sent me a response, the follow up to say, "I'm sorry." Uh, that we can't do it this night. We did. This is not a rejection. It's just that Ami has a previous commitment, um, and I just thought that that was. Uh, I thought that that was unfair that he would put that out. Um, and you know, I've gotten in the last few days, and I just want to make this statement since this is the show and this is what it is. Um, you know, I've gotten people to say, "Oh, you're 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 in the tank," or that Brian's writing these ridiculous articles. That's oh, just a cabal of liberal republic, or you know, a small rump of, of liberal Republicans are supporting. First of all, Brian Griffiths has no no room to discern my politics, especially when I've been overtly libertarian in my politics. And if he considers that liberal, then he doesn't understand politics. But number two, I am not in the tank for any candidate. Number three, what I said and what I have given Ami Hober was a forum to correct the record. Because I know that the headline that they pushed out, Brian pushed out that night, was wrong, and it was ineffective, and I told him that. I, I sent him a message, and I just said, you know, look, you should, you should not have put that headline out, and you know, I, won't, I won't go any further. But I think the next time the, – the, the next debate is March – is it Eric, Eric Beasley, March 9th or 10th? 10th, I think. Um, I, yeah, I'm not sure the exact date. It will be up here in Frederick County in okay. day. Yeah. Well, I th- I think the next debate, <laughs> when this I know this question probably will inevitably come up again. I'm sure that that Ami's going to have a direct response. And and look, Kim Mueller, uh, you know you you've you've had a lot to say about this, and you know I kind of just sit back. I have I have a quick little blurb on this. Okay, first go of ahead. all, it's my understanding that as a congresswoman, there's really nothing she can do about abortion. Uh, maybe a little bit of funding here and there, if I'm wrong, pardon me. Second of all, she did state she was that she would not have an abortion herself. So she, so that's pretty much pro-life. And in her her time with you the day after, she did state that it needs to be the federal government needs to stay out of a woman's body, and that it should be returned. But whatever happens needs to go down to the states. And I agree with her. I'm pro-life, but I surely do not want some old man or whoever in D.C. to tell me what I can and cannot do, or Brian Griffiths, for that matter, what I can and cannot do with my body. You know, and be that as it may, I I think her answer was valid, and I think what he did was reprehensible because part of his problem was his delivery of the question. It was very snarky and unprofessional. And the fact that he singled her out 
I want to say this, that Matthew Foldy and Cat O'Connor were absolute professionals throughout this entire debate. I agree the question, with that. They really did a great job. And, you know, right. Matthew, you were you, – no, I, I'm serious. And you were fantastic. So let's move on. Um, all of them were asked if they would support congressional term limits. They all said yes. Um, and then Delegate Boat said that I think he's putting a, a bill forward in January for term limits, which is great. Um, and Robin Ficker, who has said that term limits are his running mate for this next election because he's putting – he is collecting signatures to put term limits on the ballot for the Montgomery County Council, which is also great. Um, let's see. They said they would support – they all said that they would support uh, self-defense, the right to defend yourself, which was you know, in a Republican primary. Come on. That's a no-brainer. Um, then they asked a question about Dan Bongino's – Campaign, and they said, "How would you be able to, to best channel what Dan Bongino did?" And I think Matthew, did you? You may have asked that question. Yeah, that was my. I think my second to last or my last question. Yes, and he said Frank Howard answered the question, and I should note that Frank Howard has said that Dan Bongino has encouraged him to run. Um, I haven't seen an endorsement yet, but maybe that's coming. Maybe it's not. I don't know. I know that Dan has a job down in. Uh, he's writing for a conservative publication that may preclude him from endorsing. But the thought is that Frank Howard would pick up some of the Bongino voters. Um, and since he was the former campaign chairman, um, Howard responded, I said this about 500 times, Dan Bongino is a national treasure. Um, and uh, you know, I, it, it, I think Frank well, Howard is... I'm no, sorry? Frank Howard, I'm sorry. When he, said, when he answered that question, he lost a huge opportunity. He was like... Wow. Vote for Dan Bongino, and I'm like, he's not freaking running. You are like, what? What, are you, what do you bring to the table besides being his best friend? Like, no, dude. Like, you missed. It. I was so upset. Does anybody else? I mean, I, you know, does I mean he, Mr. Howard invokes Dan Bongino's name frequently, and he said that we're going to finish what Dan Bongino almost came close to doing, and. Um, Beasley, you worked on Dan Bongino's campaign. In fact, you were his Frederick County coordinator. And I mean, is that is that a valid criticism of Mr. Howard? Well, so I think uh, I think what Liz is presenting is the the non political wonk, more independent view. When you know when Frank says that type of stuff, okay. Mm-hmm. A lot of you know what she said is exactly what I would expect somebody to to really think. At, that's not directly involved in this process, especially this early on. Um, so I mean, I think, I do think that it's valid criticism. I, 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 I've had many conversations with, with Frank. I consider him a friend and I'll tell you, like, yeah, he's I, a great I guy. you know, he, he is a really good guy. And I, I think that, uh, you know, there's, he, he, he still has a little bit of, uh, you know, smoothing around to do. Um, especially when, you know, when, when talking about that, I mean, Frank did a lot of work with us on the Bongino campaign up until he ran for, um, for, I think it was legislative, one of the legislative districts down in Montgomery County. For 14. And, uh, he was yeah, in district uh, 14, 14 last time and yeah. he earned 16,399 votes and the general election. And what is the, I believe the top performing Republican in Montgomery County next to, to, to Larry Hogan, who ran, of course, statewide and won. Um, but Frank did, was successful, um, and, uh, you know, so I mean, he was a successful, okay. he was basically as successful as Dan was, except just in a very, in, a, in, in that little chunk of Montgomery County. So, I mean, yeah. he has the ability to do it himself 
You yeah. know, I, I, I really, I think that Frank needs to focus more on a little bit. I, I, I agree with Liz's, um, you know, assessment. He needs to focus more on him because he's done it. He has the ability. He knows the policies. And, you know, Frank is a very, is a strong libertarian leaning Republican. And I think talking more about the issues instead of, you know, about 2014 would be beneficial to him in the long run. Fair enough. And we have about six minutes and 20 seconds left. I want to go into final thoughts and, um, I want to get everybody in, but please be pithy. Please be quick. Um, let's start. Liz, final thoughts on the debate. Please be pithy. I was just honored to be there. <laughs> well, that's very fair. <laughs> Phil Bell, what are your final thoughts on the CD6 Republican debate that happened last Thursday in Montgomery County? Uh, I hope the committee out there will stay engaged and uh, continue to do events like this. The next one is just as good. And, Phil, I hope that you, you haven't been on the show, and I hope you come back again. And I, I we're we're going to have more of these panels, and I'm going to invite you. I love your commentary, Phil. We we have some disagreements sometimes, but um, I really truly appreciate your perspective. And uh, I always I always learn something from you, Phil, because you're very thorough. And I and it's true. I always learn something from you. And uh, you are like a political encyclopedia sometimes. Well, just so everyone knows out there, I did not pay him to say that, but uh, Ryan, I, I appreciate your kind words. I'm definitely happy to join you uh, in the future. Thank you, Phil. Um, Kim Mueller, um, what are your thoughts? What are your final thoughts on the debate as a whole? Um, I think personally that Matthew and Kat set the bar high for um, moderators, so kudos to you guys. But I think we saw where we can improve on a lot of things um, from this first debate. Um, overall, I think, I mean, I think we learned some, not a lot of surprises um, from the candidates, but I think we learned a, a few things from them. And I think, you know, for the most part, they all did really well, considering the so. stressful situation. And so, uh, Eric Moranga, what are your thoughts? Final thoughts on the debate? Um, well, I think the big takeaway was seeing how energized and engaged the crowd was uh, this early on. I, I wasn't expecting the numbers that were there. Huge. Uh, it was overflow. I hope I saw people, I heard people were responding, watching on, on, on Periscope and, and all kinds of things like that. So if we can keep this momentum going, um, it's really cool to see Republicans energized this early. And if we can keep this going, you know, I'm, I'm really hopeful for, uh, for a Republican win in CD6. Now, and Eric, I, you've, You've, uh, this is also one of your. This is your second time, I believe, on the show, and I want to really thank you for for making time and coming on. And uh, you, you're also, uh, yeah, a fantastic contributor to this program. And um, Beasley, I've had you on several times, and I always love your spunky commentary uh, because you have a you have a true unvarnished habit of giving it to us straight. So give it to us straight. What are your final thoughts on this Republican debate? All right. Well, Ficker's still a tool, and he always will be. Uh, I think that the uh, the front runners. I mean, we already know who the front runners are. Um, who my are they? Surprise upset. Um, Amy, um, Ami Hober, Frank Howard, uh, David Vogt. I think they're the okay. the best chance. Um, I think that uh, Christopher Mason was the surprise, but I, he doesn't. He's not going to have the backing and the volunteers and the money to have a chance. Um, and. Uh, I just uh, as a shameless plug, the uh, um, Republican Club of Frederick County will be having the next debate on March 10th. Uh, details to come. Um, <laughs> hope to see everybody there. Thank you, Matthew Foldy. As a panelist, your perspective on the CD6 debate. Final thoughts. 
So I think that Baker did a very good job introducing himself to a new audience. I've never met him. I think that something my dad said to me after was very interesting. It, 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 is it not amazing that, you know, we were saying that not everyone understood everything that Scott Chang was saying. I mean, for me it was a little easier because I've taken Chinese for several years, but isn't it amazing that in America he feels like he can run for Congress? I mean, to me that was incredible. I so, love that. Seeing, I, amazing. Like, seeing, yeah, so seeing that, I mean, major props to him for doing that. And that really is, like, an only in America thing. I think that is incredible. I think that the main takeaway I had when I was leaving was great turnout, and we have a very impressive field of candidates. The one thing, like I was saying earlier, with opening and closed statements, they're, they're already, you know, memorized. So I had mm-hmm. said in my final question, I'd love for you guys to give some thought to electability, how you can win. Right. We didn't really talk about that in the debate that I would love to, well, at the Frederick County one, maybe have a little more address to that. And um, so other than that, I think that, you know, we see the limitations. You know, I, I feel for the presidential moderators dealing with, right. a, you know, a field that size. But I think okay. that well, all in all, Matthew, we, yeah, very- I, I want to give you, I appreciate that. And um, my final thoughts are um, everybody showed up. So showing up is half the battle. Um, they got their points across. We learned some interesting things. Um, I, there was no particular breakout star. Um, the people, w- the candidates uh, that are leading are obviously Ami Hober, David Vogt, and Frank Howard. Harold Harold Painter always surprises me because he's so substantive. Dr. Scott Chang, I think, had some really great responses. Um, Terry, Terry Baker. Baker. Terry Baker did a great job. Uh, that night, yeah. I'm, I'm not so sure about the the Obama Kerry uh, Clinton uh, threat, which was kind of weird. I think he should retract that. Um, Robin Ficker was Robin Ficker, but toned down, and you know some of his responses I liked. Um, who am I missing? Who am I? Christopher Mason, um, new candidate, interesting guy. I like him. Frank Howard is uh, 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 strong uh, on many economic issues, has a great business perspective. All these candidates bring a host of great assets to this Republican primary. April 26th is when people go out and vote. I encourage you to all go out and vote. And with that, I want to thank my panelists that came on tonight. Guys, thanks for your time. My name is Ryan Miner. You are listening to A Minor Detail. We'll be back again soon. Good night. Thanks, guys. I appreciate that. I really do. Thanks, Ryan. Okay, guys, yeah, I'll have you. the uh, I'll have the audio clip up soon. I appreciate it. Looking forward to your thoughts in more detail. All right, take care, guys. Good night. Good night. Good night.